What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. O-Z-Y. Ozzy. Ozzy Media Productions. The Misfits was a much-anticipated film when it was released in 1961. The movie featured two enormous Hollywood stars, Marilyn Monroe and Clark Gable. But The Misfits was a box office flop. A year later, Monroe was found dead from a drug overdose. The Misfits was not just the last film that Monroe completed. It was also Clark Gable's final appearance on screen. The 59-year-old Gable died from a heart attack just 12 days after shooting finished. Monroe was stunned and heartbroken when she learned of Gable's death. She told one reporter, quote, Nobody was more of a man's man than he was, but he appreciated women. It's clear Monroe was talking about someone who was much more than a co-star to her. Clark Gable was like a father to Monroe when she was being shuffled between orphanages and foster homes as a child. She slept with the movie star's picture under her pillow, which is why on the final day of shooting for The Misfits, Monroe reportedly walked over to her famous co-star and made a confession. She told Gable, Do you know something? You're my hero, and I never had a hero before. Clark Gable's rise to the top of Hollywood during the 1930s was much different than Monroe's two decades later. Both actors came from humble origins and were products of a studio system that transformed them into larger-than-life figures. Monroe, however, as we learned in Episode 3, thought of Hollywood as, quote, a merry-go-round with beds for horses, and she resented the fact that her career advancement depended upon pleasing the predatory male executives she called the Wolves. Monroe's hero, Clark Gable, did not have to confront the Wolves the way that women did in early Hollywood. But, unlike Monroe, he was willing to do whatever it took to become a star. In this episode, we chart Clark Gable's journey to screen legend, including how Hollywood's archetypal man reportedly used and abused women along the way. Superstar, where you from? How's it going? I know you. 
got a clue what you're doing. You can play brand new to all the other chicks out here, but I know what you are, what you are, baby. Look at you. I'm Sean Braswell. Welcome back to the Thread. This season is about the chain of historical events behind the rise of feminist leader Gloria Steinem. The chain we follow takes us back to the Hollywood of the 1930s and Clark Gable. He's the man who uttered perhaps the most famous line in film history as Rhett Butler in Gone with the Wind. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Here's a quick recap to follow our thread so far. But please listen to the previous episodes if you haven't already. Las Vegas, Nevada was a desolate, struggling town in the late 1930s. That changed dramatically after Clark Gable's wife, Rhea Langham, went there to get a quickie divorce while Gable filmed Gone with the Wind. And pretty soon people were running, you might say, to Las Vegas to get a divorce because everyone wanted to get a divorce where the Gables had gotten theirs. Seven years later, a 19-year-old Marilyn Monroe obtained her own divorce there. Marilyn clearly felt that it would be easier for her to pursue her modeling and acting career if she were single. Fast forward another seven years, a magazine publisher named Hugh Hefner uses a nude photo of Monroe taken when she was a struggling model to sell the first issue of Playboy magazine. She was the, the launching key to the beginning of Playboy. Fast forward another seven years, and Hefner founds the first Playboy club, whose bunny-clad employees revolutionized the nightclub scene. A young reporter named Gloria Steinem then writes an expose of life as a bunny, one which helps spark her resolve to spend a lifetime on women's rights. It was subject to constant what we would now term sexual harassment, but there wasn't even a word for it then. In this episode, we turn our attention to the movie star whose landmark divorce helped launch Las Vegas, the man they called the King of Hollywood, Clark Gable. Clark Gable plays a Nevada cowboy in The Misfits, one who finds love and companionship with a recently divorced younger woman, played by Monroe. In the final scene of the movie, Monroe turns to Gable as they drive down a desert road at night. How do you find your way back in the dark? Just head for that big star straight on. The highway's under it. It'll take us right home. Those would be the last lines Clark Gable would utter on screen. Two weeks later, he died from a heart attack. The New York Times headline read, The King is Dead. Gable's widow and fifth wife, Kay, blamed one person for her husband's sudden death, Marilyn Monroe. The actress had a reputation for causing delays and problems on set, and The Misfits was no different. Monroe was always late. She forgot her lines. She fought constantly on set with her husband, Arthur Miller, the playwright who had written The Misfits for her. She also popped amphetamines and tranquilizers. The filming was very, very difficult. This is Monroe biographer Sarah Churchwell. Her relationship with Arthur Miller was breaking down, um, and um, there were many, many problems on the set, uh, some of which had to do with Marilyn's own problems with addiction, but also with her unhappiness in her marriage. To make matters worse, the Nevada summer heat was oppressive. The delays, the waiting, and the heat were hard on the aging Gable. 
He also insisted on doing many of his own stunts, including being dragged by a truck for over 400 feet across the desert. The physical strain on Gable during the Misfits may have contributed to the star's death. But Gable was also a chronic smoker and a heavy drinker, and he spent his reign as the king of Hollywood living large and trying to live up to his larger-than-life image. Gable starred in some of Hollywood's best films, including It Happened One Night, Mutiny on the Bounty, and, of course, Gone with the Wind. MGM, the studio that owned Clark Gable's services for decades, struck cinematic gold when they discovered him. This is E.J. Fleming, author of several books on early Hollywood and stars like Gable. Clark Gable's success really was based upon the fact that the product that MGM put on the screen, the movie Clark Gable, was an everyman. But Gable was so much more than an everyman. There had been other super masculine men in Hollywood. Anne Helen Peterson is the author of Scandals of Classic Hollywood and a senior culture writer for BuzzFeed. But no one had that sort of like swarthy, unshaven masculinity that Clark Gable popularized over the course of the 1930s. Gable's frequent co-star and even more frequent lover, actress Joan Crawford, perhaps summed up Gable best. She said, He represented man at his most primeval, virile, rough and ready, with the instincts of a wild beast. Gable had more balls than any man I've ever known. So one of the things that made women go wild was that in a lot of his performances, he had stubble. <laughs> like he was a slightly unshaven. And that at the time, you know, was a signifier of this sort of unmitigated masculinity. Gable cemented this impression in one of the scenes from the 1934 classic, It Happened One Night. He took off his shirt and he wasn't wearing an undershirt, which was just scandalous at the time. Gable won the Oscar for Best Actor for his performance in that film. He was also given another honor. Hollywood coronation. Clark Gable and Myrna Loy were crowned king and queen of the street. Mr. Gable, on behalf of the 20 million fans, I present to you this kingly crown. Thank you, Ed. You know, I played gamblers, newspaper men, Klondike miners, and now a test pilot. But this is the first time I've ever played the role of a king. Gable scoffed at his honorific title in private. He said, This king stuff is pure bull****. I'm just a lucky slob from Ohio. I happened to be in the right place at the right time, and I had a lot of smart guys helping me. That's all. It's true. Gable had a lot of guys to help him. And even more women. He slept with... Virtually every woman he crossed paths with. Myrna Loy later said that he was the least selective man in the hemisphere. He'd screw anything. It didn't even have to be pretty or clean. Gable was legendary around MGM for his womanizing. One day, Gable was in a studio executive's office. And his desk was covered with hundreds of studio stills of the contract actresses at MGM. And Gable looked at them and said, I've had every single one of them. It didn't stop with the contract actresses. He had affairs with virtually every famous MGM star. Uh, Joan Crawford, Marlena Dietrich, Marion Davies. It's hard to actually find one that he did not have an affair with. But at least one of those alleged conquests had broader consequences. It was Gable's relationship with a 22-year-old rising film star named Loretta Young. Loretta Young was kind of like the Jennifer Aniston of the 1930s, just, you know, a very, very steady and lovable star 
that wasn't necessarily an incredible actress, but was widely beloved. Loretta Young signed on to make a film with Clark Gable, Call of the Wild, about gold prospectors in the Klondike. And she goes with Clark Gable to shoot Call of the Wild, which is based on the Jack London novel. And they're in the wilderness in, you know, the forest outside of Seattle and on location, which was somewhat rare at the time. Despite the frigid weather, sparks flew between Young and the married Gable and not just on screen. So you have this long shoot in the winter, in the middle of nowhere, and you have a beautiful star in Loretta Young and then another very handsome and flirtatious star in Clark Gable. And, you know, there's home movies of them being flirtatious with one another. And you know, people on the set said that they were flirting. Young, Gable, and the rest of the cast and crew boarded an overnight train back to Hollywood when filming came to an end. The stars were given individual compartments for the journey. Loretta Young was in her compartment in the overnight train, and Clark Gable knocked on the compartment door. And as she told her um, biographer and also her son and daughter-in-law, he knocked on the door and she didn't know how to say no. Young later said that she thought Gable just wanted to visit her compartment. But, according to Young, he had other ideas in mind. She said, quote, He wasn't rough, but I kept saying no, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. Clark Gable returned home to his wife, Rhea Langham, after shooting finished on Call of the Wild. His first words were, I want my freedom. He didn't get it, at least not then. Not long after, Gable received some news. Loretta Young was pregnant. He ignored it. Young was devastated. She was freaked out. I mean, the thing to be an unwed mother at that time in Hollywood, you know, it would be, be the end of her career and she would be a fallen woman. I mean, when that happened with Hollywood starlets, usually the course of action was to get an abortion. But Loretta refused. Instead, she orchestrated one of the greatest cover-ups in Hollywood history. Young told the studio she needed a vacation and left for Europe with her mother. She remained there for months, explaining that she was ill. Young then secretly returned to her mom's house in California for her final trimester. She would go out at night only and walk around the neighborhood to get a little bit of exercise because she was stir-crazy. But there were rumors that she was pregnant. Young invited one prominent gossip columnist to her mom's house to dispel the rumors. She greeted the columnist from her bed. And they piled pillows all over her and they said, she's just sick, she can't get out of bed. And they essentially convinced the world that she was not pregnant by putting pillows on top of her bed. One evening, about nine months after Call of the Wild ceased filming on location, Clark Gable attended the New York premiere of his next film. Afterwards, Gable received an unsigned telegram in his hotel room. It read, Beautiful blue-eyed blonde baby girl, born 8.15 this morning. Gable walked into the bathroom, tore up the telegram, and flushed it down the toilet. It took decades for Young to come to terms with what she claimed happened to her that night in the train compartment, says Anne Helen Peterson. In the 90s, Loretta Young was watching a program that described date rape or, you know, uh, acquaintance rape and the dynamics of how that worked. That's someone that you know, that, you know, it's not a violent thing, but it, that it is unwanted sex. And she saw that program and heard that definition, and she said, that's what happened between me and Clark Gable. 
Loretta Young devised even more elaborate plans after giving birth. She placed her baby in an orphanage for the time being and went back to work on her next movie. Over a year later, she told the press she decided to adopt two babies. What eventually happened is those two children turned into one child, and that one child that she adopted turned out to be her own child. Thanks to Young's efforts, the story would remain just a Hollywood rumor. She was so smart. She was so savvy. She pulled it off with no help. She didn't have, like, a publicist who was coaching her on it. It was, like, her, her mom, and her sisters who figured out how to game the entire publicity apparatus so that she could keep her daughter. Like, that's amazing. Loretta Young did not get a lot of help from the studio in navigating the rocky shoals of Hollywood morality and scandal. She was unmarried, female, pregnant, and unwilling to get an abortion. But her male co-star, Clark Gable, had plenty of help with his career-threatening scandals. Up next, the men they called the Hollywood Fixers, an elite special forces unit for scandal management. Clark Gable may never have become Marilyn Monroe's hero or the king of Hollywood, without the help of some powerful allies within the studio system. The fixers at MGM saved Gable's skin more than once, and they were also responsible for his ill-fated marriage to Rhea Langham. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. 
Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Historians call the 1930s the golden age of Hollywood. And more than anything, that golden age was defined by stars. The studios realized right away that the fans reacted to the stars as much as they did to the movie. This is E.J. Fleming again. And the studios also realized that the individual stars translated to money. So it was imperative that they had an organized system in place to take care of any problems that came up. There was one studio in particular that stood out as a star-making machine, Anne Helen Peterson. MGM was the king. So they had, one of their slogans was, more stars than the heavens. They were like the HBO of 1930s Hollywood. MGM's stable of stars included Clark Gable, Joan Crawford, Fred Astaire, Gene Harlow, and Judy Garland. MGM and other studios took the personal behavior of their stars very seriously. Any hint of scandal could sink a star, and, more importantly, the studio's large investment in them. So MGM, like all of the other major studios at the time, had what were called fixers. And those are people who collaborated with the publicity department to make sure that no negative stories or stories that didn't match the public image of the star would be released. Clark Gable encountered MGM's fixers early on in his career at the studio. In fact, that's how he came to be married to Rhea Langham in the first place. Gable's first major films were coming out in 1931. At the time, he was living with Langham, a wealthy woman 17 years his senior. One day, Langham came to see MGM boss Louis B. Mayer. Mayer had an experienced secretary who was used to handling disgruntled wives and girlfriends. Her name was Ida Coverman. Remember that name. We will get back to Ida in the next episode. Ida Coverman quickly redirected the distraught Rhea Langham to a studio executive named Howard Strickling. Howard Strickling was the publicity director at MGM. He was the guy that had to develop the stories, design the spin, and sell the narratives. Langham broke down in Strickling's office. She told him how she was living with Gable for years with the understanding they would marry. She threatened to raise a stink in the press if he didn't propose. Studio executives summoned Gable and waved his contract in front of him. The entire contract could be voided if the actor engaged in sexual or criminal misconduct. To save his career, Clark Gable agreed to marry Rhea Langham. MGM did much more than force its young stars to marry live-in lovers. They made sure no rough edges came into public view, says Anne Helen Peterson. So anything that they did, whether it was drunken mischief, punching a waiter at a bar, um, abusing a wife or a partner, those things were covered up in collaboration with the press and the police department. MGM controlled every police force within 50 miles. It had an army of doctors, psychiatrists, pharmacists, lawyers, and reporters that it could enlist at any time to fix a problem. And MGM's chief fixer was a man named Eddie Mannix. Mannix was a former amusement park bouncer from New Jersey. One of the jobs Mannix was tasked with was to keep an eye on Clark Gable. Both men were inveterate gamblers, drinkers, and womanizers. They quickly became close friends. And whenever Gable had a problem, Mannix, along with Howard Strickling, was there to solve it. Yes, Gable felt the blade of the studio's almighty sword when he was forced to marry Rhea Langham. But as Gable's star rose, he saw that same sword go to work for him. He was driving drunk in Hollywood, 
and he hit a woman in a crosswalk and drove away. Clark Gable had a lot of car accidents in his life. According to E.J. Fleming, this one in 1933 was the worst. He immediately called Strickling and said he thought he hit somebody with his car. Strickling called the Hollywood police, and they confirmed that, yes, there was a dead woman in a crosswalk, and people identified Gable's car. MGM's fixers went to work, says Fleming. MGM reportedly paid off the victim's family and paid another employee to take the rap for the accident. Twelve years later, Gable was driving home drunk again when he lost control of his car on Sunset Boulevard and plowed into a tree. Gable was taken to a nearby hospital. News of the accident leaked to the press. MGM's publicity team, never cowed by irony, told reporters that Gable was sideswiped by a drunk driver. Like so many other royals in history, Clark Gable got away with just about everything. But even before he became a star, Gable was an unflinching opportunist, one who would do almost anything and sleep with anyone that might advance his career. Rhea Langham was just one of several women who served as rungs in the ladder that Gable used to climb to the top of Hollywood. Clark Gable's route to Hollywood was unorthodox, to say the least. He was from Cadiz, Ohio, a small river town in the middle of nowhere. The young man, then known as Billy Gable, quit school and went to work in Akron, doing odd jobs. And Helen Peterson again. Like many classic Hollywood stars, he had a pretty poor and rough and tumble childhood. Um, his parents were in and out of the pictures. His mom died when he was young. Um, and he made his way to stardom kind of by fits and starts. Eventually, Gable found his way to Portland, Oregon, there he met the first of a series of older women that would change his life. E.J. Fleming explains. Gable used women his entire life. He was with a traveling stage crew in Oregon early in his career, and he hooked up with the lead actress, a woman named Franz Dorfler. She actually got him his first job acting, and he promised to marry her uh, so she would keep giving him jobs. Gable broke that promise. He left Dorfler a year later when he met Josephine Dillon. Josephine was a kind of a homely acting coach. She was 20 years older than, than Gable, but she took a liking to him. All women did. She renamed him Clark. Dillon soon became the first Mrs. Clark Gable. The newlyweds moved into a Hollywood bungalow. Gable worked as a garage mechanic and struggled as a studio extra. He was tall and handsome but he had enormous ears and unattractive teeth. So one of the things that Josephine Dillon for him, did for him was basically instruct him on how he could make it as a Hollywood star and not just as a you know, sort of handsome guy from Ohio. And what she did was you know, paid for him to get new teeth. His teeth were crooked and, and bad. She also taught him how to speak in a way that was less high-pitched and feminine. Gable rewarded Dylan's efforts on his behalf by abandoning her. He took up with yet another older woman, actress Pauline Frederick. She had this huge mansion on Sunset Boulevard. He moved in with her. He never told Dylan he was even in town. And he was basically a kept man. He didn't do any acting. She just kept giving him sports cars and jewelry. Gable was indeed a kept man, even if no single woman kept him for all that long. Finally, he met a wealthy 44-year-old divorcee and socialite from Texas named Rhea Langham. And it was kind of a faux marriage. They pretended they were married. They 
introduced themselves as Mr. and Mrs. Gable. With Langham bankrolling him, Gable pursued a career on Broadway, and then back in Hollywood. The Ohio ruffian blossomed into a suave urbanite. He wore Brooks Brothers suits. Sometimes he carried a cane. I think that you could safely call Clark Gable a gold digger. He saw opportunity in a way to rise through the ranks in Hollywood, and that was given to him by the rank and money and success of his respective wives. You'll recall that Marilyn Monroe had no desire to be a kept woman, despite no shortage of opportunities. As a result, she often lived paycheck to paycheck. Gable took a very different tack. One of the interesting things about Gable is that during his early career as a stage actor was that he never had to worry about the types of things that most struggling actors had to worry about. He never had to worry about money. He never had to worry about uh, a place to stay. He never had to worry about food. He didn't have to worry about anything because Dorfler, Dylan, Pauline Frederick, Rhea Langham had him on the payroll. Gable was more than a boy toy. He was a Pygmalion-like project. His female keepers could play Henry Higgins to his Eliza Doolittle. After Gable signed with MGM, the star makers at the studio continued the transformation. Gable was a complete studio creation. The Clark Gable that everybody remembers and saw in all the movies was the antithesis of the real Clark Gable. He was almost laughably hypochondriac. He had to be taught the basic manners because he was basically kind of an uncouth Ohio bumpkin. MGM sent Gable for new dentures. They restyled his hair, plucked his eyebrows, and sent him to the gym. They even tried pinning his ears back with tape. It didn't work. So studio cameramen were instructed to film him from the side as much as possible. The end result? MGM cast him in a series of increasingly big roles in 1931, the same year the studio forced him to marry Rhea Langham. Moviegoers had never seen anyone like him. One magazine dubbed him The Great God Gable. Here he is with Carol Lombard in the 1932 film No Man of Her Own. Sure of yourself, aren't you? I wouldn't be if I was sure of you. Men all over America started to imitate his brash, macho style. It was not uncommon to overhear a woman responding to those men by saying, Who do you think you are, Clark Gable? Clark Gable was in the right place at the right time in Hollywood. MGM was loaded with female stars, but short of romantic leading men. By the end of the decade, and after his stint as Rhett Butler, Clark Gable was the biggest star on the planet. Gable's massive fame also helped fire up the divorce courts of Las Vegas and start a chain of events that shaped the lives of Marilyn Monroe, Hugh Hefner, and Gloria Steinem. Next week, in our final episode of the season, we find out what launched Clark Gable. Even with all the help from his various wives and female patrons, the young Gable might not have succeeded in Hollywood without a little good fortune, including a single test audience that was stacked in his favor. We also retrace our steps and learn more about the casting couches of early Hollywood and how they connect to Gloria Steinem and the women's movement today. I can do it. Womanizer, daddy-o. You got the swagger of a champion. Too bad for you. You just can't find the right companion. I guess when you have one too many makes it hard. Could be easy who you are. 
That's just who you are, baby. The Thread is produced by Libby Coleman and me, Sean Braswell. Chris Hoff engineered our show. Special thanks to Cindy Carpian, Tracy Moran, and James Watkins. This episode features a cover of the song Womanizer by Britney Spears that was recorded at the New Foundry Studios by Sophie Golby. To learn more about The Thread, visit aussie.com slash the thread, all one word. And make sure to subscribe to The Thread on Apple Podcasts. Check us out at aussie.com or on Twitter and Facebook. If you love surprising, engaging stories from history, look no further than the flashback section of Ozzy.com. That's O-Z-Y dot com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Compatibility. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? Time for chill vibes. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.